Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls podcast, where the Pelicans are now on a five-game winning streak. In case you didn't see, we changed our handle after thrashing the t- San Antonio Spurs. I just checked Will Gullery posted that it's the, the first time or the highest-scoring game against the Spurs in the Pelicans franchise history with 122 points. And to help us recap that matchup and prepare for Portland, first-time guest and co-editor to thebirdrights.com, Mr. David Fisher. How are you doing, sir? Doing very well. My son is cooperating. He is asleep on the lap. I'm very impressed. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Press that you're, you're multitasking right now. Uh, I can't even drink water and do this at the same time. And his cohort today in the co-pilot seat, who also is dealing with his own extenuating circumstances at the moment, is Mr. Kevin Berrios. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, man. I'm doing well. I got company with me right now, and it's... Cool. First time doing it with a, a crowd. Yeah. In case you guys didn't notice, we're usually a bit more lively than this, but we all have our own uh, different set of circumstances right now. I'm in a different room because I'm trying not to wake up my wife and she's got to go to bed early. So my dog, I, I am at his mercy right now. If he starts barking, that might be all she wrote. David's holding his son and Kevin is in a different house. His sister is in town. He's got about 14 animals with him and a crazy friend watching the jazz right, right now. So you guys stick with us. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Make sure you follow fish at fish underscore TBW. And Kevin at Kevin B for bounce. Let's go ahead and talk about the game. Uh, let's start off here. Who is your MVP for this one, Fish? For this game, I mean, it's Rondo. I don't oh see God. how it could be anybody else but Rondo. We got we got playoff Rondo, what, three games early? I mean, I would say that playoff Rondo showed up at some point during the Golden State game, but in the third quarter, 
you know, it started to get a little shaky. The offense started to, you know, gum up a little bit, and he brought the pace back, got everything moving again. And that was all she wrote. The Pelicans really never looked back. Yeah, he was decisive on both ends of the floor. 19 points, 14 assists on 9 of 13 shooting. He also had two steals, two deflections. He created a turnover when he made Patty Mills pass the ball to himself. However, what you guys don't know from listening to this is what a shocking revelation it is to hear David Fisher praise Rajon Rondo. How surprised are you to hear that, Kevin? Uh, well, you know, I, I feel like I had I did the same thing David did yesterday when I had when I gave, a, you know, a, a, a attaboy speech for Alvin Gentry. You know, we both got to admit when we're wrong and uh, roll forward with, uh, you know, claims that we made in the past. But, yeah, it was shocking to hear. Well, it's not really shocking. I knew David would give credit when credit's due. But, you know, David has, you know, clearly been one of a uh, detractor of Rondo, which I'm sure he's happy to admit. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with them. It's uh, got to either be it's it's clearly Rondo, but I would say Drew was uh, knocking at the door there. He had a very good game, um, and uh, you know, defensively, him and AD were very locked in, um, and Drew was attacking, and we pulled it out, man. And yeah. his bobblehead night, you know, you got to give it to Rondo. <laughs> he must have known. Uh, I think you can give it to any of the starters, not name each one more. We tweaked his ankle. I think he had 13 points in the night. We certainly hope that he's able to recover. He played all 82 games this year. So uh, not not worry too much. I think he'll be available on Saturday or Sunday when we match up again. However, uh, any one of us can praise Anthony Davis. Uh, a ho-hum 22 points and 15 rebounds and uh, five blocks and two steals or four blocks and three steals, excuse me. Uh, but he didn't shoot particularly well. Eight of 18, that's a quiet night for a superstar. But I'm going to go the other direction and go Nico Meritich. And I'm going to throw this back to you, David. He had 21 points, 15 rebounds, two uh, blocks, and one steal on 9-15 shooting. But what was most impressive to me was that Alvin Gentry put him in DeMarcus Cousins' place in the lineup. Uh, whenever Anthony Davis was off the floor, they went small. And they played a lot of uh, some version of Rajon Rondo, Ian Clark, or Rajon Rondo and Drew Holiday with Solomon Hill, Darius Miller, and Nico Meritich at the five. And surprisingly, it worked, and it worked really well. Were you surprised by that lineup, Fish? Um, I think especially when you're talking about the San Antonio Spurs, who haven't been a team really historically that's going to attack the offensive glass, um, Nico Meritich makes a lot of sense playing the five in like a small ball lineup. But when we're looking ahead, I mean, I, I have the Portland game on in front of me right now, and you think what Portland's going to do with their second unit, and they have Ed Davis, who I know Kevin Kevin has been a Ed Davis fan, I want to say, for like two or three years. Uh, it goes back to Toronto trade. days. Yeah, I mean, you've been writing trade trade scenarios with Ed Davis coming back for a long time. I think – playing a lot of Nico Meritich at the five when you know Ed Davis is going to attack the offensive glass like he does is less less of an option than it was tonight with with the specific matchup of with the specific matchup of the Spurs but yes. he's been I mean just just to follow up on that Nico Meritich actually the, the last three games has been a monster on the on the glass I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know he's been piling up rebounds at a at a at a very good clip in in the recent week. 
Yeah, after this one, he'll probably be somewhere settling around 26 and 13 in his past five matchups. Uh, and defensively, these guys were locked in all day long, 40% from the field for the Spurs in this one. The Pelicans were just really into their rotations, their help defense. There was a couple of times when LaMarcus Aldridge was kind of doing LaMarcus Aldridge thing, shimmying over his shoulder and rotating over his right side. But there seemed to always just be somebody waiting there to make him release the ball and throw it to, to a Danny Green, to a Kyle Anderson. Uh, Kevin is... How impressed were you with the Pelicans' defensive performance in this matchup? Uh, that was very impressive. I mean, we were really locked in. Um, I think that was the most impressive thing because we know we, we can score, you know, and just the way we've been playing defense the last few games, um, especially, you know, the last two have, has been excellent. And, um, you know, like you said, Anthony Davis had a quiet game, which is funny. I mean, like you look at his offensive numbers and that's not a quiet game, but it felt like a quiet game for him, but on the offensive end, but defensively he was, he was dynamic. He was a monster. Drew was great. Um, you know, everybody was really locked in and, um, you know, going back to David's, uh, the question you asked, uh, David about us going small. I mean, I, I feel like the Spurs kind of let us do that a little bit too, because they rolled out some lineups where like, Kyle Anderson was playing center and Rudy Gay was at power forward. So they were playing pretty small too. So um, that allowed Gentry to do that. And we know that Gentry would like to do that because he wants to have a lineup that can run and shoot. Um, So I think that played into our hands tonight and um, you know, we held it down defensively. So that made it work. Yeah, definitely. The The Pelicans are second in the NBA in uh, points in the paint. They're high up there in fast break, too. But San Antonio, on the other hand, is first in the NBA at uh, at minimalizing uh, opponents scoring in transition. They're number one in that category. However, the Pelicans had 32 fast break points in the second quarter. They outscored the San Antonio Spurs 17 to nothing in that quarter alone, 76 points in the paint altogether. Uh, and the second quarter, the bulk of that scoring came with Anthony Davis on the bench. Uh, the Pelicans were able to hold him out until somewhere around the six-minute mark, which is traditionally what they do. But with the playoff rotations being in effect since last Saturday at Golden State, I anticipated him coming in somewhere around the nine-minute mark. David, what did you see in the second quarter that made the Pelicans so successful? And uh, were you so surprised at how Drew Holiday was able to lead that offense to such a substantial margin with AD on the bench? Um, I think a lot of that really, as um, Kevin's already talked about, is about the specific matchup with the Spurs. The Spurs have, I mean, the Spurs have kind of out-executed teams up to this point, but with the Pelicans just team-wise, as locked in as they were, and then they they did have, they did enjoy quite a bit of a, a talent um, superiority there in the in the second quarter, and what Giroux was getting done. I didn't get to see a whole lot of that quarter. Um, unfortunately, right around that 7.45 to 8.15 mark, like in, in terms of in the evening is bedtime. So usually, <laughs> I mean, it kind of lines up for me well in terms of the fact that AD usually goes to the bench for those, you know, six minutes or so of game time. And we're hustling kids through bath and everything like that. But I mean, that would be that would probably be the worst stretch to ask me about very specifically. But I mean, I think Kevin's already harped on a, a good deal of it from the previous question. 
Yeah, uh, most of it was defense defensively. A lot of uh, ca- caused and created turnovers by Rajon Rondo, by True Holiday, and the Pelicans were just able to capitalize in transition with the fluid movement of Nikola Mirotic. These guys were so great at their rotations. It was such crisp, impressive basketball. If you put this team and you pair them, mirror them next to the, the Pelicans version in November, when these guys seem lost, they seem to be trotting up the court on that end. It was just a different a different team it looked to be. Uh, let's, let's go through some statistics. First of all, Rajon Rondo, a negative 23 in 24 minutes the last time they faced these Spurs on March 15th. Tonight, a positive 23 in 32 minutes. So kudos uh, to the Pelicans for whatever game plan they did. Uh, they had him hiding against Danny Green and Kyle Anderson at moments. DeJounte Murray was limited for the most part. Uh, these guys are 29th in pace and first in defense, and the Pelicans were able to score 122 points. Uh, Manu Ginobili was very quiet on the night. Uh, Tony Parker was one of the leading scorers with just 10 points. Let's see Manu's numbers. Uh, just six points on the night, two of seven shooting. So such a stark contrast. Uh, Kevin, just to wrap this up for us, and then we'll move on to the Blazers. Do you think this was 100% the Pelicans playing well, or do you think the Spurs kind of came out flat? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, but um, the the Pelicans definitely imposed their will, and they definitely were engaged. And in, in, as David already said, talent-wise, we are the superior team. I mean, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge is their best player. Anthony Davis is clearly a better player. Then you go down the line, Drew Holiday, and the way uh, Nico Miritich is playing right now. Uh, they don't have guys like that right now because of injuries and aging out. And, you know, that's just the situation they're in right now. They're sort of in a little bit of a possible retool, even though they're still a very good team and they're obviously a very well-coached team. Um, And it's funny, like those plus minus numbers you brought up about Rondo, it's just like, that's so typical Rondo. It's, you know, you either love him or you hate him kind of thing. You know, he has those obsessive fans and those obsessive detractors and it's just always polarizing. So for him to be a perfectly negative 23 and a perfect positive 23 is just perfect and kind of poetic, I think. Yeah, he had four steals in this one to go along with a couple of deflections, uh, like I mentioned earlier. David, before we get to the Blazers, one more thing. Uh, Obviously, the Mm -hmm. Pelicans went with an eight-man rotation in this one, being Ian Clark, Darius Miller, and Solomon Hill. Uh, I was a bit surprised they didn't go with Czech Diallo or Okafor off the bench, but it ultimately worked out in their favor. The one thing that I do want to talk to you about is Solomon Hill and his seeming case of butterfingers. It's gotten to an extent now. uh, Last game uh, against the Clippers, where Rajon Rondo was out in transition, he got trapped and he looked behind him saw Solomon Hill and then he just straight turned around and tossed it back to Anthony Davis and I saw a bit of that tonight in transition Rajon Rondo and Solomon Hill in two-on-one scenarios and Rajon Rondo just pumped the brakes because every time Solomon Hill touches the ball it seems like he loses it do you think he puts it together in time to be a meaningful player against Portland I think he will I think um, the Portland matchup um, might be a pretty good matchup for him because he's not He's not going to be tasked as much to be a stopper. He can just come in and do little things here and there and just contribute as well as he can instead of thinking, and not so much this game, as much as maybe the pressure he was feeling, especially um, Golden State on Saturday, where, hey, when I check in, I need to check Kevin Durant and I need to slow him down. He's not going to have an assignment like that when he's when – you're talking about Portland because Portland 
it's 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 all about their two guards at that point. So I think he can put it together, and if he does or not, is is really just feels like it's going to be a flip of a coin if he yeah, starts okay. catching the ball or not. Yeah, Kevin, it looks like four and five basketball on the offensive end of the floor right now when deflections, turnovers, uh, just clumsy basketball on that end. Defensively, it was a different story tonight. Uh, everybody was effective on that end. What I'm concerned about with the Blazers is I'm not entirely sure who he matches up with. You could obviously pair him against Evan Turner, but against guys like Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, that could be a good spot to put in an offensive player because those guys aren't exactly the uh, perimeter scoring threats that you really need a guy like Solomon Hill for. Where do you see Solomon Hill fitting in against the Blazers you know first off I'll just say I mean he's clearly pressing you know he's trying to get comfortable again and he's always been a a confidence player so uh, on the offensive end you know he needs to build that confidence you see when he gets confident he starts making shots like we saw against Houston like we saw in the playoffs uh, when he got his big paycheck that's just the player he is but um, you know offensively he's been a huge minus so far However, he always makes at least one or two hustle plays that are really key, you know, whether it's getting an offensive rebound and kicking it out or or a timely assist. So, I mean, he's still putting positives on the floor, even though, you know, we're getting frustrated with some of the stuff on the offensive end. But I do believe it's going to come around. And um, like David said, um, I think you could put him on on um, CJ McCollum for a little while if you need to. Um, and but you know mainly he's going to be on Aminu and uh, Harkless I'm sure and Evan Turner um, and Hounden Evan like while Evan Turner isn't a great scoring player definitely not a good shooter he is a pretty decent facilitator and he's developed I mean he's played that role well down the stretch for them so having a guy that disrupts him uh, makes it hard for him to find players denies him the ball those kind of things will help and that's the kind of things that Solomon Hill can do for you right now. Yeah, definitely going to need a lot more from Solomon Hill and Darius Miller than we were able to get in this one. Those guys both had 21 and 19 minutes apiece. So going to expect a lot from those guys. We know what to expect from Ian Clark. He was solid tonight, as always, with 11 points. Glad that ankle injury was not more serious because he has been critical off the bench and will continue to be so against the Blazers. I know our friends over at Blazers Edge are afraid of Ian Clark because whenever he was at Golden State, he had some of his best performances against those guys. Let's go ahead and get into the Blazers. We wanted them and we got them. Right now, they're up on the Jazz by 12 early in the second quarter. CJ McCollum has uh, 12 points early in that one. The Pelicans split their two matchups. The most recent one, of course, uh, March 27th, 107 to 103 in a night where Damian Lillard had 41 points. Uh, that one was a, a, a really heated uh, contest. Very exciting back and forth. All the way through, uh, really thought we had a chance there at the end. However, going into this game with the Jazz, Portland's kind of been falling apart at the seams. They're scoring seven points less per game than they did in March. They've lost four in a row. They're on pace for, uh, I can't remember what it is, 48 or 49th wins. They're not the fastest team, 19th in pace, but they are eighth in defense. They're fifth in rebounding, 10th in offensive rebounds, something that's been hurting the Pels lately. They don't create any turnovers, but they also don't turn the ball over. So we shouldn't expect too many fast break points, although we said that going into this one too. Oh, and here I have uh, the numbers in front of me. They had an eight-point positive rating in March, and they're down to negative two in April. Fish, we wanted them. We got them. Talk about the Blazers. Um, I think um, you covered a number of the things. They're not a team that really tries to create turnovers. I mean, you can watch them defend. They try to defend and simply not make a mistake. They want to make you take a bad shot. They're not going to press you into that. 
they're not going to really press up high and trap play passing lanes nearly as much. Um, I know you said they're low on turnovers. I think if you looked it up, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, if you looked it up in terms of deflections and things like that, they're probably exceptionally low throughout the league as well. And that's just not their game. They just want to stay in front of you. And one of the things that I'm really going to look forward to in terms of we're talking about how are Pelican role players going to contribute is what is that going to do to Darius Miller when he catches the ball? Because how, how Portland is mostly going to play him is they're going to close out, but they're going to close out under control. And so his option is going to be take a mildly contested three or just move the ball. And if he just moves the ball enough, then there, he, he slowly becomes less of a threat, I would say, is the, is the biggest thing. And as he becomes less of a threat, because they're not concerned about him actually, if he's not going to take the mildly contested three and he's just going to move the ball, you know, they're going to continue to sag off until they get to the point where he's actually willing to shoot. And that'll be, that'll be a, a, a big inflection point in terms of the bench units is how is Darius Miller going to handle that? Is he going to attempt to attack closeouts or is he going to be really passive? That's, yeah. that's one of the big touchstones I'm going to be watching in that series. Yeah, that's an important point. We've been watching him very closely. Uh, he hasn't been as aggressive as we might have liked. And tonight, even against the the Spurs, he had opportunities where guys would close out on him rather than dribble into the into the paint or uh, for a mid-range shot like a 12-footer. Uh, he just moved the basketball. Or there was one time he took that contested three. I think it was Manu Ginobili defending him. And Manu actually got a piece of the ball and rejected him, but he just happened to fall into him after the fact. So he got lucky with that call. He, he's just been struggling with his confidence as of late. Uh, let's touch upon that. Uh, really quickly with you, Kevin, he's only had double digit scoring performances, I think six times since uh, February 14th. So he's been kind of limited on that. And how do we get Darius Miller going? Yeah. I mean, he's been struggling and it's funny that that play where he, where he got filed on the three, I, I said he freaky Friday with Manu because they just <laughs> sort of swap roles where Darius usually files the three point shooter and Manu flops to get the call. We just kind of, Flop, flops bodies on that one but um yeah I think he's just lacked aggression um and that's the main thing you know he started off the season very timid and then he sort of got he, he got some confidence got some aggression and uh that's when we were having those uh you know those Darius Reggie Miller moments and we're just not having them anymore and he just needs to attack more we saw we did see him attack on that one play where he had that nice little uh left-handed scoop shot um, if we can get more of that from him, that'd be great. Um, but it just has to become me- mentally, it ha- it's a mentality thing. And, uh, he's not having that right now for whatever reason. Um, we need Boogie to call him or Rondo to get in his ear or Drew to give him whatever magic serum he drank to unlock his aggressiveness because we need, uh, more than just a guy that hangs out on the perimeter and either takes the wide open three or, or kicks it out. Um, you need him to do a little bit more than that. Uh, let's keep it going with Kevin uh, and and stick with the Blazers. Obviously, they're really starter heavy, as are the Pelicans right now. We already talked in depth about uh, Solomon Hill and Darius Miller and what kind of improvement we need from them. We know what we're getting from Darius Miller or from Ian Clark, I should say. And the Blazers are really similar in that regard. Without Mo Harkless uh, in the lineup, they're led by a, a bunch of like contributors that are super inconsistent. You guys mentioned Ed Davis, uh, Zach Collins. 
Uh, and then, of course, there's Shabazz Napier, who was really good early in the season, but he's been struggling the last two months. And we'll talk more in depth about uh, that with Steve DeWald and David McKay in the upcoming days. And Pat Connaughton is a is a similar story. He was somebody who was uh, a bit more useful in the in the uh, earlier months of the season. And of course, they picked up Wade Baldwin on waivers from Memphis. Uh, I can't remember when that happened. But here's my question to you. Uh, Kevin, how are we going to space the floor defensively? Of course, you've got Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Drew Holiday will body up with one of them. And you'd like to think that each one more might be pressed against the other one with possibly Rajon Rondo hiding on um, on uh, Al Farouk Aminu or on Evan Turner. Uh, what would your plan of attack be on that end of the floor? Yeah, I think you got to put um, Rondo on on Evan Turner because I think Al Farouk Aminu is too athletic. Like, I don't think you can hang with him. And if you're choosing one of those guys, it's got to be um, Evan Turner because he's not a scorer and he's not, he's a, he's a good athlete, but he's not a super athlete like Alfred Camino is. Um, and also that length that Alfred Camino has will, uh, you know, drive Rondo crazy. Yeah, I'll throw this over uh, the same question to David. And the reason that I ask this is Al Farouk Camino. I know that both um, Rajon Rondo likes to be in the middle of the action, likes to kind of play free safety and get some deflections and take some risk. And Nikola Miritic, mm-hmm. we like him in the paint as well because he's so good at shot blocking and rebounding. Al Farouk Camino tonight on the night first, the Jazz has absolutely zero shots. I'm sure he's just waiting in a corner somewhere for an open look three. Other than that, he doesn't do a whole lot. How would you pair our guys against them defensively? Um, I'm still actually going to go um, with the same idea Kevin does, but for a different reason. I think you put um, Rondo on Evan Turner and you dare Portland to go post him up. Please break down your offense, go away from all of your primary options and decide that we want to try to attack Rajon Rondo in the post because he's probably given up, what, like three, four inches and 40 pounds to Turner. And it's kind of like you're teasing uh, Mark Jackson when, when Mark Jackson was coaching um, the Golden State Warriors and they'd get some kind of switch. And all of a sudden, the old, the old school Warriors, before Steve Kerr took over, break down out of their whole offense. They're not going to try to do Steph stuff, and they're trying to post a Clay Thompson on some mismatch or something. I think that's what you try to do with Portland. You bait them. You're just sitting there. You just keep on throwing out there. Go ahead. Attack it. Please. Please attack Rondo. Because I think, Ron, first of all, those still aren't going to be terribly efficient plays anyways when you're talking about Evan, post, Evan Turner post-ups. And secondly, you know, Rondo's crafty enough, especially playoff Rondo. I mean, we're talking about practically a, a completely different <laughs> human being. You know, um, he's going to be crafty enough that he might get some – some deflections on entrance passes or he'll pull the chair and get around and, you know, tap the ball out. Anything you can to try to convince Portland that they need to do something outside of the things that they should be doing is, is how I would attack it. And there, there's, there's no amount of you put Rondo on Alfa Rugmino. They're not actually going to try to attack that matchup. But on Turner, there's there's a possibility they might think that that's a, an area of an advantage that they that they want to pursue. Definitely, and I like that too because Meritich on Al Farouk Aminu gives him the freedom uh, if he can cheat out of that corner to come in and help Rajon Rondo should he need it. And if Evan Turner seeks to look for 
Aminu in the corner, well, that's just something you have to live with. And that's something that you uh, that you could die by. But uh, more likely than not, Evan Turner is going to look for a pass to, to Nurkic or to Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum uh, on the perimeter looking to, to dribble, penetrate against Etwan Moore, Drew Holiday using screens and that sort of stuff. And that's what we come to next, uh, Kevin. Actually, before I get to the backcourt, I'm going to go Nurkic. Um, and I'm sure everybody's exhausted with hearing me talk about uh, how I like Emeka Okafor and Czech Diallo to be on the court with Anthony Davis when they are paired against Yusuf Nurkic and Alfred Camino because those guys are such cunning and, and workhorse type rebounders. And obviously with Meritich on the floor, they've been able to offset that lately. But is there any inkling in the back of your brain that you might actually want another big body in this matchup like a Diallo, like a, um, uh, an Emeka Okafor, especially across what could possibly be a seven game series? Well, um, before you joined us, David and I were alone in the chat room for a second, and he was he mentioned that um, you know watching this game right now that the uh, the Jazz and the Trailblazers that watching Ed Davis play, you could see that there could be some minutes for Diallo there, and I, I agree with him one hundred percent. And um, you know, having Diallo out there still allows Gentry to run because of his athleticism, um, and I think you know while Ed Davis is maybe maybe like 20, 30 pounds heavier than uh, than um, Diallo. I think Diallo will be able to hold his own uh, against him. Um, and you need that sort of energy and rebounding guy. Um, and, you know, like, it's funny because Portland, when I when we first got Diallo, I wrote an article comparing uh, Jack Diallo to saying he was basically a combination of Al Camino and Ed Davis, you know, the freaky long arms, the you know, six, six, eight, six, seven, six, six to six, eight sort of range guy um, that that is super athletic, but with long arms, but is also like a rebound guy and a guy who's going to who's going to uh, just take the efficient shot around the rim and not going to try to stretch you out or anything like that. So if you combine the assets of those two players, I think you have, you know, Diallo, obviously those guys mentally are ahead of Diallo in the game, but that's the kind of player I think Diallo will develop into, and it'll be fun to watch him play against those two. And I think he could guard either of the either of those guys, depending on what kind of matchups Portland throws out there. So I think it is a series where we could see, you know, some some Diallo minutes in there, especially if you know Miritich or AD get in some foul trouble. Um, but yeah, I I think I don't see Gentry playing. Okafor a lot in this series just because of of those matchups because really you're only going to put Okafor on Nurkic but you're going to probably try to take advantage of Nurkic um, by putting a faster quicker player where he has to either guard a Davis or or a Miritich or a Diallo so um, yeah I don't expect a lot of minutes for Okafor but I could see Diallo playing you know a, a lot in this series. You reminded me of something, Kevin, uh, that I wanted to ask Fish about. Uh, the last time we played Portland in the first quarter, the Pelicans were really successful defensively with Okafor on Nurkic, and Anthony Davis was uh, he was allowed to kind of cheat off of Aminu and help defend on Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, uh, keeping them from driving into the paint, making them uh, do those contested uh, long-range shots. Do you think there's any possibility that Nikola Miritich is primarily matched up with Nurkic early in this one? I... You know, I, I, I could not tell you. I, I know my personal opinion would be that this might be a matchup that's good to get Okafor some run. And a lot of it, I mean, you look back at the four games that the Pelicans played with against the Blazers, three of them Boogie played in. 
And so we can just throw those out right away because Boogie, Boogie's big enough. He's not intimidated by anybody um, or, you know, physically overmatched by anybody in, in that respect. And then the other game, you know, the game we're talking about that, that, that Boogie was injured. Yeah, Portland did pile up a ton of offensive rebounds in that game, but I can't remember if it was, you know, early in the third or late in the third when Anthony Davis um, sprained his ankle, and then he wasn't really the same player after that. And and we we have enough, I think, of a sample size with Alvin Gentry to know that as the game goes on, his natural inclination is that the game gets smaller. And he, he rarely, if ever, ever goes back big, um, you know, back to a big starter that isn't that isn't boogie at center. So we don't really have a whole lot of of evidence to suggest that he's actually going to go back to Emeka Okafor. But, you know, Emeka Okafor should be able to get you five, six minutes in the first and the third quarter just to save the grind on Anthony Davis because you need to – I, I think at this point we should be expecting Anthony Davis is probably going to play 42 minutes a night, 40, 42 minutes a night. And so if you're only expecting – you're only going to give him – you know, three minutes of rest each half, why not save his body for six minutes to start the first and the third quarter and not have have, have that, you know, 285-pound use of Nurkic leaning on him? Yeah, that's, that's, an- that's, how, that's, that's how I would do it, just because you need to think of it, you know, as, as long-term, you know, fatigue. Yeah, that fatigue begins to pile up. Definitely, that's an important point to make if Terry Stotts uh, was willing to, to try to slow things down. We mentioned earlier the players are, uh, play with one of the slower paces, and they've seen the slowest pace team in the NBA, the San Antonio Spurs at 29th, were just run off the floors by the Pelican, run off the floor by the Pelicans. So Terry Stotts is going to have to come up to, with something to get a bigger body on the floor for the Pelicans and kind of slow things down and grind things out and play more half-court offense because uh, those Rajon Rondo uh, alley-oops from mid-court to Anthony Davis have to be terrifying for an imposing head coach to think about. And speaking of terrifying, Kevin, that brings us to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. They're up by 14 at 16 at half right now, and the two of those guys are combining for 31 points. The Pelicans have been really lucky this season in that uh, – Never at any point in the four games they've played have both guys gone off. And you can attribute that to Drew Holiday. You can attribute that to, to team defense, whatever you want. And now it's 33 points. They're both shooting six for 11 and a combined five of nine from deep. So what are the Pelicans facing in going up against C.J. McCollum and Dane Lillard yet again this season? I mean, it's one of the most talented backcourts in the league, and we've gotten some luck on that end. But, you know, also not to discredit Drew, he's a great defender, so he can take somebody out of the game for a while. But a lot of what we saw were kind of fluky games uh, from those two guys. So you you can't expect that to be the same way. Um, But, you know, still you're going to have confidence in Drew Holiday to be able to slow people down or at least make their job hard for him. And then also – the main thing you got to do is neither of those guys are, are good defenders. So you need to make them work on that end to tire them out. You need Drew Holiday to attack and keep his offensive attack mode going. And you also, you know, like you said, they want to play a slower pace, but you got to run them. You got to make Nurkic run. Um, you got to tire him out too. And, you know, I, I'm all for imposing our will on the opponent instead of trying to play their way. So I think, 
that's what you got to do. You got to make them uncomfortable. You got to make them play in transition and you got to wear Nurkic out and um, all that will trickle down and you got to make CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard defend. You can't, you can't let them uh, sit back there and be passive. You got to make them work and that'll, uh, you know, that'll be to our advantage. And Drew, with the way he's been playing lately, I have confidence that he's going to keep playing that way. And we've seen Ian Clark and Etwan Moore have uh, really good games lately. Um, so I think if our guards are aggressive, then that bodes well for us because those guys are going to have to extend a lot of effort because we know we're going to be playing fast. All right, Fish, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I know uh, you've got you're with your family and it's getting late over there. And Kevin, of course, uh, is watching the game. It's at halftime right now. Portland is leading Utah, who is 29 and five since January by 14 at the half. So we'll have our eyes closely glued to that television to see what happens. Not that it matters for the Pelicans, but it is a difference between a fifth and a sixth seed. With that being said, Fish, uh, the Pelicans are guaranteed a top six seeded finish, and that is well beyond our wildest dreams heading into this uh, season. Most prognosticators had the Pelicans finishing out of the playoffs altogether, and here we are, 48 wins, many of them without Boogie, who I think played somewhere around 50 to 55 games on the season. Pelicans are 20 and 13 without him. Uh, They've pulled off two uh, improbable victories, or you could argue improbable, first against San Antonio and against Golden State, who's now falling apart at the seams. But with that being said, the Pelicans needed to take care of business, and they did it. How impressed are you by the past three months of Pelicans basketball? Oh, I'm incredibly impressed. Um, it's it's one thing to hope that the team does well, and it's another thing, you know, to try to predict like how are they going to do well. I don't think. I don't think if you asked even the most optimistic writers about this team and you told them, oh, by the way, on, what was it, January 26th or January 27th, um, DeMarcus Cousins is going to blow out his Achilles and he's going to be done for the year. How many, how many wins do you think the Pelicans get? Um, I, was in the, I was in the boat of, I was thinking the Pelicans probably win somewhere between 44, 46 wins. I was kind of in that range. And my biggest concern was, is that actually going to be enough? Well, turned out 46 wins didn't get Denver into the playoffs this year. So, I mean, a lot of the prognosticators had that right in terms of the West is going to be this difficult, but in terms of how how well the Pelicans did, um, I've been very impressed. And, and we do have to note that a lot of that is built upon just their performance in clutch games. I know um, David Grubb has been touching on that repeatedly, that they're – that their performance and their ability to pull out clutch games is really the difference. I think that the last time I looked at their point differential, they were expected, like their expected wins were at like 43. Now the big win today will probably bump that up. So it won't seem like they have outperformed them, their, their, their point differential as much um, through 82 games. It'll probably happen about like 44, maybe 45, but still they're like plus three on victories and that a lot of that speaks to the fact that they've won close games. They've won a lot of close games and that's, that's coaching. That is player execution. That's um, Dell Demps. I remember when Boogie went down, I wrote a piece um, not too long afterwards saying the ideal trade would be to trade away a first round pick and somehow get something that works now and for the future. And he, you couldn't have asked for anything better than, getting Nikola Miritich and, you know, chopping off 
um, a year of guaranteed money while you were at it in getting rid of Omer Ashik. I mean, that was, that was the best of both worlds. It was, it was a phenomenal trade at the time. And so I've been, I've been incredibly impressed with the team up to this point. I'm really looking forward to the playoffs, but I do wonder, and it sticks in the back of my mind. I was thinking about it while I was driving home today from work. What were the Pelicans predictions for themselves? And is this good enough for the upper management? Because you have to remember three years ago, the Pelicans were the toast of the town. They made the playoffs, not on the very last game of the season, not the second or the last game of the season. They went into the playoffs. They were playing one of the best teams in NBA history in the Warriors. And they actually were performing very well. They were up 20 in the third quarter. It collapses. Monty's booed at his introductions for game four. The team decides that they think all white shirts are going to be, they probably had already decided that well before, but it looks like it's a big surrender flag in the Smoothie King Center. And a month and a half later, Monty's fired. Well, not even a month and a half later, what, like two or three weeks later, Monty's fired. And you thought all the way up to that point, the playoffs were enough. Remember, Alvin Gentry, his, his contract next season is not guaranteed. And Dell Demps, from all the reports that we've read, doesn't have a contract beyond this point. Are they, are they four poor performances in the playoffs from looking at massive turnover again anyways? Or is this enough? Was 48 wins enough? That's, that's my big question. And that's not, is it enough for me? My question is, is it going to be enough for the people that actually run the franchise? And that's a wonderful take because we actually have a question from Solomon asking that exact question. He said, is it safe to say that everybody in the front office job is safe? And I'll turn this over to Kevin before I get uh, Kevin's reflections on the the past couple of weeks, because obviously we've talked to Kevin a lot and we we know many of his takes. But let's get his take on this really quickly. Uh, Of course, this isn't what we're expecting. We're expecting the Pelicans to show up and play really well. And if nothing less, uh, take the Blazers to six or seven games if they're not able to win the series altogether. With that being said, if what Fish says comes to fruition, the Pelicans get swept and maybe in kind of grandiose fashion, the Blazers are playing really well uh, tonight after all against the 29 and 5 Jazz over the past three months. If that were to happen, do you think everybody is still safe in the front office? Yeah, I mean, I, I answered this uh, yesterday, I think, right? Um, yeah. I think no matter what, we uh, those guys come back there's no reason to get rid of them continuity is very important i think we've learned that we see that around the league um and if the if you can believe in the continuity and i think they've done enough to give you um belief in them um especially you know like david was saying you know i've always been a del Demps guy and that trade was incredible because not only do you shed omar Ashik, but you get a valuable player and a player that even if you don't want him as the future in the future next year he's an, a, a valuable expiring that can then turn into something else you know whatever um that's getting ahead of things but um you know he works with this team now and he you can see him working with boogie in the lineup as well so um it was a great move you got that for a single first round pick um which typically the cost of that trade to get that kind of a player would be a first round pick and to dump that contract of Omar Ashik's would usually cost another first round pick. So basically two first round picks of were were like we saved the first round pick and combined that into one move. That was a great move by Dell Demps. Um and then that's coming off the heels of acquiring uh 
uh, DeMarcus Cousins a year uh, before. So, you know, there's, I think, you know, Dell Dimps has done a marvelous job, especially considering what he's had to work with, the, you know, the market he's in and uh, those sort of things. But, um, yeah, I mean, and even Alvin Gentry, you know, this team has uh, played great down the stretch. So you need to have continuity going into next season. You see a plan working, a plan that's being executed well. Um, now Boogie com- coming back, I think, is a great thing. Um, but it's just going to see how that wrinkle gets thrown into Alvin Gentry's offense because it does change things. Um, so hopefully um, there's a good plan in place that maximizes the uh, Boogie's minutes as well as playing this style with uh, Miritich and, and Davis playing a little bit smaller um, as well. So, But, you know, that being said, I think even a total playoff disaster, everybody should come back. Um, but I don't foresee a playoff disaster. I see a very fun exciting, competitive uh, series. I do as well. And one thing that we don't take into account, uh, David Fisher was talking about the the clutch wins. We were 17-4 and four heading into that four-game uh, stand against those uh, playoff contenders in Houston, Cleveland, Portland, and Oklahoma City. And the Pelicans, of course, lost all four of those. But everybody was kind of playing poorly at the same time. And I'm talking, of course, about Nikola Miritich. Uh, Etwan Moore was in a bit of a slump. Uh, Anthony Davis had severely sprained his ankle. And I remember Alvin Gentry saying something along the lines of, he shouldn't even be playing except that what we're all fighting for at this point in time. And now these guys are probably going to have another three, four possible days to rest. Everybody looks healthy. Everybody's on point. You've seen the way that these guys have played in the past three games. Uh, They're looking confident. They're looking like a well-oiled machine. Alvin Gentry's pressing all the right buttons right now uh, in in the way that he's utilizing these guys and shortening the rotation. It looks like he's, he's doing all the right things, and I am feeling really confident going into this. So with that being said, let's wrap it up on this fish. Let's get your prediction. It's a seven-game series. How do you see it ending up? Um, I think um, I think we shouldn't um, underestimate the quality of Portland's home court advantage, but I do think that the Pelicans um, – I do think that the Pelicans can push this to seven games. I really do. I think they'll be able to push it to seven games. And then um, there's the absolute expectation game seven in the Rose Garden. I'm not going to call it whatever they call it. It's the Rose Garden there in Portland. And, you know, it's going to be a close game coming down. And then Damian Lillard is probably going to happen. I mean, we've seen it happen before. I think it was his second or his third season when he had that game winner over, well, series winner over Houston. Um, so, I mean, in, in the end, I do think Portland pulls out in seven games a very tight series thanks to having home court advantage and having the best closer on the floor and Damian Lillard. All right, Kevin, let's throw it over to you. And he's very astute in his uh... – I, I think I had it in front of me. 27 and 13 is, yes, that's what it is. 27 and 13 at home, 21 and 20 on the road on the season for the Blazers. And of course, they're winning tonight. How do you see it transpiring, Kevin? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what David said. I think um, I think if it's a six-game series, that means the Pelicans win. If it's a seven-game series, that means the Trailblazers win. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if either team won. It wouldn't surprise me if either team destroyed the other team i mean they're just so close and it just depends on who's hot at the right time um i could see it going so many different ways but i'm i think um i think just portland has a little bit more playoff experience than us 
And, uh, you know, I think having the home court advantage and having a guy like two, really two guys who have hit very big shots in their careers um, going against, basically we have our, our one like guy, Anthony Davis, who's hit those tremendous shots to win key games for us. I think, um, you know, they just have more of those sort of elite clutch shooters. So I think in a seven game series, it does come down to home court advantage. Yeah, they say a seven-game series doesn't start until somebody loses a home game. So we'll definitely see uh, which team blinks first in that regard. Uh, it's called the Moda Center, and it's named after one of their largest health providers. Uh, but you're right, a lot of people refer to it as the Rose. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for now. Thank you guys so much. This has been a very subdued, although celebratory, episode because we're all trying to be quiet in our own respective environments. Uh, but I do want to say thank you to Fish, our co-editor at thebirdrights.com. This is the first time we've managed to have him on the podcast it's our 105th episode so thrilled to have him on hopefully uh over the next couple of weeks we'll have some more playoff encounters and we'll get to speak to you a bit more often sir do you have anything that you want to talk about before we let you go oh you know um i just want to thank you for having me on um what you've been doing here with the podcast has been great uh, i really appreciate all the hard work you and all the contributors have have done on this podcast it is a pleasure to be on the podcast and hopefully, you know, if this little guy on my lap does cooperate, I'll be on the podcast a little bit more often here in the coming weeks. And um, one other thing about the, this playoff series that's coming up is I expect we're going to see a level of Anthony Davis that we have not yet. I mean, he averaged, I want, I want to say it was probably like 32 or 33 points a game against the Warriors in 2015, and he was still a pretty skinny kid. At the time, he's a grown man now. I wouldn't be surprised if Anthony Davis comes out of this series averaging 40 points a game, especially with the minutes load he's going to have. He, he might average 40 points a game. And if it comes down to the Pelicans are up 3-2 um, going into game six, I would, put, I would put all the money on Anthony Davis finding a way to make that happen. So, That's right. Yeah, that would certainly be something to behold. I'll do you one better. Of course, we're expecting Rajon Rondo, a playoff Rajon Rondo, I should say, in primetime Rajon Rondo to show up. But uh, we haven't really seen too much of Drew Holiday in this type of atmosphere. And as the season's gone on, he's just simply gotten stronger and stronger on both ends of the floor, playing like a true all-star. Earlier in the year, we were arguing that he was having an all-star type season. I don't think you can argue it anymore. He simply is one of the best backcourt uh, defenders in the NBA at this point, and we're all certainly expecting him to make all team defense first or second i think you can make an argument that he belongs on the first uh kevin we'll swing it over to you we're going to wrap this thing up uh any closing arguments or comments no i mean i'm just looking forward to this matchup you know like portland's been a team that before we had a team that i i kind of like you know like the small market kind of underdog team so i've always had sort of an affinity for this team for the portland team so i'm excited to see these two teams go at each other you know obviously clearly i'm all all in on the Pels now, but you know, they're a team that I like and I like small market kind of stories. So I think it'll be a fun game. I think both fan, you know, Portland has a very uh, rabid fan base. That's, you know, fun to hang out with. I got a bunch of friends that moved to Portland um, in the nineties and uh, you know, they all are big trailblazers fans. So I get to trash talk with them through the series. So that's fun. And uh, 
other than that, you know, just looking forward to some good basketball. And as David said, I do expect AD to take it to a next level. And as you said, Drew has taken it to a next level defensively and offensively lately. So I just hope to see uh, more of that from him. And, you know, that'll give us a puncher's chance in this thing. And uh, Travis has, Travis Tate, not my buddy Travis, whose house I'm at right now, but Travis Tate has written an article about, you know, sort of a casual fan of the Pelicans guide to uh, watching these playoff series now that, you know, the city's starting to get more energized about the team that I'm about to look at. He asked me to look at and maybe add to it. So as soon as we get off of this, I'm going to look at that and that'll be coming out the next day or two. So look forward to that. Nice shout out. That was a great idea that I saw you guys talking about yesterday. And the... that was David's idea, actually. It stemmed from me complaining about how I listened to 870 AM on the drive-in to work and Bobby <laughs> Bears what the Pelicans colors were. So, oh, Bobby. Get on your dad, man. That, on, that's a sweet old man. Uh, Portland is up hey, seven. Yes, sir. Preston, one other thing. Um, and I, you weren't covering the team at the time, so you don't realize this. There was, there was a time once long ago when Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard were rookies at the same time that there was quite the blog flame war going on, especially in our comment threads. I'm sure Kevin remembers it during the Rookie of the Year contest. So, I mean, you have to understand that we are going to relitigate the uh, 2013 NBA Rookie of the Year throughout this, um, throughout this playoff series as well. And that's going to break my heart because the Pelicans were so close to acquiring Damian Lillard with that Austin Rivers pick in 2012. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that, but having those two guys on the same squad, Jesus. Uh, but uh, this couldn't have been any more convenient for us because we're good friends with a lot of the guys at Blazers Edge. In the next couple of days, we're going to be talking to David McKay, the site editor over there, an award a credentialed member of the media, as well as Stephen DeWald, who is covering the U.S. Hoops Summit right now and Team USA. And our buddy, who is one of the editors over at Clips Nation and SBN, Robert Flom, also writes for them. So this is just going to work out famously for us. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you guys so much for listening to our subdued and very celebratory version of the Bird Calls podcast. Stick with us. Uh, we're going to be hitting you guys with content multiple times a day up until this season ends. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your downloads. If you can do one more thing, go on over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. It really does help us. I know that it sounds annoying, and I talk about it every podcast, but it takes 30 seconds, and we certainly appreciate it. For now, I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Follow Kevin at Kevin B for bounce and fish at fish underscore TBW. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Let's go pals. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, 
pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.